This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this I Know That Face Sissy That Pod crossover. The only podcast crossover that honors the often underappreciated by the masses work of RuPaul and cinema. I am I Know That Face co-host Stephen Porzio. I'm Andrew Carroll. And as I mentioned in the intro, we are joined by the host of Sissy That Pod. If you would like to introduce yourselves. My name is Keen, and this is my first time watching a RuPaul movie. What? My name's James and I've seen them all. <laughs> 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 yeah we're excited to hear your your thoughts on these movies because i mean you know you guys talk about some good movies and some good yeah actors, and i just feel i was like oh great james and i are here to bring the tone fully down i, I mean and it, i don't think it goes any lower down than star booty really like <laughs> it, it doesn't it just doesn't <laughs> when is star booty gonna be in the mcu when i, I don't know where i don't i don't know when star booty is going to be entering the mcu but like absolutely soon <laughs> i i can see they need to um they need to um replace chazik bowman now i'm just like you know <laughs> <laughs> too soon not soon enough <laughs> Yeah, what did you guys know of RuPaul before you undertook this endeavour? I've never seen any of RuPaul's Drag Race or really anything to do with him, but I feel like I've watched the show by osmosis just because of the... I was on Tumblr for a long time. I was on, I'm on, you know, spend my life on social media, so I just keep seeing, mm. like, GIFs and pictures of all these uh, incredibly dressed drag queens and just little snippets of information and I'm like mm-hmm. oh uh, fucking Katya has a, has, a, has a there's a documentary about Katya now yeah. great because <laughs> <laughs> even though like he's not a great actor I think he does fit that I know that face because you're like I do know him from exactly, somewhere yeah. I never yeah. actually watched him back <laughs> yeah. now I have and my life is worse for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm the same I've never seen an episode of RuPaul Drag Race I'm just not a big reality TV person so that sort of whole phase uh, stuck me by but um, yeah I think this is ultimately an enriching experience I watched a couple of movies that I have opinions on now we're broadening that's, our horizons that's good <laughs> hey look and we're all complaining about having too much time in lockdown so you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what better way to waste it yeah. <laughs> I watched Crooklyn which I think is RuPaul's first like Hollywood movie well, will, we, will I talk about that Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, he had like a cam a cameo in like Spike Lee's semi-autobiographical comedy drama Crooklyn, and uh, kind of in the vein of other filmmakers making movies about their own childhoods, like I don't know, Amarcord by Fellini or like Coran's Roma recently. Like it's it's very vignette-y and like you know loose, uh, but it's set in the summer in 1973 in Brooklyn, and it centers on a young girl named Troy Pebezada Harris, who throughout the film learns life lessons uh, from her you know, four rowdy brothers, her loving but strict mother, played by Alfie Rodward, and her naive, struggling musician father, Woody, played by Delroy Lindo, who was recently in The Five Bloods and delivered maybe the best performance ever. <laughs> Just got totally snubbed at the Oscars. It's ridiculous. Uh, that's just, that's that's for like another I know that face. Um, yeah, that's, that's, another, that's another podcast waiting to yeah. happen. <laughs> I'm just so furious about it. But um, yeah, no, this film is light on plot because it kind of moves from incident to incident. Less like a typical movie, but more like life. And while mm. that could be meandering, just the, the sheer colourfulness and vibrancy 
and confidence of Spike Lee's direction just like keeps it moving forward and feeling very propulsive and engaging and like it literally starts with a kid being like on your marks get set go and then like the movie is just like panning it through the neighborhood and like cutting really fast between these kids all playing these like 70s mm-hmm. games that don't exist anymore like hopscotch and dominoes and you know rock'em sock'em robots and uh it's a, you, it gives you a great sense of like time and place and uh what's also funny is apparently none of the kid actors had ever like had no idea how to play any of these games <laughs> like by the night by the time the 90s came around so spike lee had to like personally teach them how to play these old games which i kind of want to watch that movie but <laughs> but yeah like and throughout the movie you're seeing like these very well-observed scenes of troy and her family at their best not their worst and there's these really fun colorful characters spike lee is actually in the movie playing a man who likes to huff paint or no huff glue and just terrorize the local mm. children which is really funny <laughs> by teaching them old world games exactly (laughs) and um but like everything's kind of linked through this like really like banger of a soundtrack where it's like just hit after hit of like 70s songs you know like hendrix's hey joe pusher man curtis mayfield ain't no sunshine science seal delivered abc it's like goodfellas almost it's just like freaking wall-to-wall music so uh in terms of rupaul he's this uh i'd argue quite key cameo because the movie is a coming of age story for troy uh the young woman and rupaul's character connie the bodega woman is sort of her first glimpse of a woman, I think, owning her sexuality, because basically Troy goes into this bodega to buy some sweets uh, for her and her pals and sees RuPaul's Connie. And I'm not even sure if, like, RuPaul is meant to be a man in drag or RuPaul's just playing a woman, but um, he's in there and he looks amazing. And the character has this, like, bleach blonde afro wig, pink booty shorts, and a shirt, like, tied at, like in a front knot. And uh, she's just dancing with this tiny Puerto Rican man, and he's just like tearing over him and kind of teasing him and then when the Puerto Rican man like goes to make a move RuPaul's Connie replies with the the iconic line we all know I ain't no puta I keep my panties clean and (laughs) we never know exactly what the dynamic is between RuPaul's Connie and this small man but um I think we're meant to be like Troy in the scene just like watching on open-mouthed transfixed and like the movie keeps cutting back between rupaul and troy watching and like is putting the camera really close on troy's face and it it's like she's witnessing a formative moment (laughs) and Mm -hmm. even as like she leaves the store her head is like watching rupaul like it's like turned uh because you know he has presence and it's not long after that we see troy in the bathroom like wearing her shirt in the same way as connie she's stuffing toilet paper you know under to make it look like she has breasts and then also later she paraphrases connie by shouting i ain't no puta i keep my pajamas clean at a sleepover (laughs) and like the whole thing is just very funny but it's also like a good representation of one of those things i'm not sure if you have this but like seemingly inconsequential things that happen to you as a kid that just leave a weirdly big Mm -hmm. imprint on your brain and you just think about every once in a while like he's got that I mean, yeah. yeah. If a six-foot woman shouted to me, I'm not a puta, I keep my panties clean, that would absolutely <laughs> stay with me to this day. Um, I think, though, about RuPaul, RuPaul works best. I think we're... I'm going to say we're going to find over the course of this conversation, RuPaul works best as an actor in cameo form. I, I don't I don't think yes. long-form RuPaul as, as an actor really has. Like, I think because, like, in, in the likes of Brady Bunch or or even, like, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, it's usually that kind of sassy-empowered character. And there's always that sort of... 
like the question is never asked or answered about whether this is a woman that we're supposed to be looking at or whether we're supposed to be in on the fact that this is a drag queen it's kind of like this is an alien come to life in <laughs> sort of you know seven foot tall sort of like oversexed human form um and that's kind of what you like i think you get that a lot with rue um but also just on that those moments in the oc they had like bagel cutters and I, as a result of that like i was gone like i was like 17 or 18 when that came out but as was, the concept of a bagel cutter is forever linked with like glamour for me so it's like <laughs> gucci chanel and bagel cutters <laughs> That actually sounds recent. Like Spike Lee surely is a big name to have, you know, for RuPaul to get into, you know, into production with. I'm surprised. I feel like Spike he, Lee would stoop that low. <laughs> I do feel that he he Spike Lee is you know always sort of championing black excellence, and I feel like mm-hmm. he like and I, this was I think 1994 maybe I'm not sure about yeah. the exact year, but I feel like RuPaul then was pretty much like a countercultural figure. So yeah. Spike Lee probably was tapping into that which is interesting so now this yeah. is the That's part like, i would drop mid-90s. in the clip of i ain't no poot i keep my panties clean <laughs> 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 i mean yeah mid-90s is kind of like rue's sort of first peak all right so that kind of makes sense yeah supermodel of the world at this point yeah I did watch a RuPaul cool. episode for this i'd never seen one just to kind of like get some context so she says sachet away when something is bad, like you're going home, what does she say? Yeah. If, or what does he say if it's like a good thing? Shantae, you stay. Like if you like, oh, Shantae, yeah. I'll say the Crooklyn is a Shantae. So it's, it's okay. okay. So Crooklyn, <laughs> we're, we're, we're Shantaying. I think it's going to be light yeah. on Shantae's today. But... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Star booty sachet away. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. With its designer vagina intact. <laughs> but do you want to go to Star Booty next? Because um, I mean, we've been oh, let's go. Let's go from peak to peak. Far, <laughs> yeah. Star Booty turns out was actually a trilogy of movies that RuPaul created in the eighties that he sold from on VCRs to his friends for like a hundred dollars from like a shopping trolley, I think. Um, so they're like a black exploitation set of movies, but I mean they can, they're not accessible now, or at least I couldn't find them. Unless Stephen, I don't think you could find them either. But he did make a remake of or sort of like a fourth version of the trilogy of of the series in 2007 and i was shocked when i found out it was in 2007 because the quality is so bad until i realized he's trying to do it in the style of the 80s movies um it's a mike ruiz film for drag race fans Ooh. so he's the f- photographer who who you often see in drag race taking pictures nice of the guy in the episode um, i watched yeah <laughs> <laughs> Good, yeah uh rupaul i think wrote it and produced it all himself and like you can tell <laughs> as i was watching it james i don't know if you did the same i had a i had a penis count i counted four erect and three flaccid throughout the whole movie i was very shocked by that because I was watching it on YouTube. So I was like, what? <laughs> isn't, this, isn't this illegal? And apparently, so it uh, premiered at some LGBTQ film festivals around 2007. Um, and RuPaul insists that he introduced it himself at every single festival, which is the opposite thing that I would be doing. <laughs> <laughs> and did you know it was the only film at the Philadelphia LGBTQ Festival of 2007 that sold out twice? There you go. So Star Booty is... The biggest supermodel of the world, but she's also a secret agent. And she finds out that her niece, Cornisha, has been kidnapped by her childhood rival, Annika Manners. Okay, so Annika, 
She's a bit of a bad bitch. She's head of Mannerism Inc., which is apparently a billion-dollar cosmetic company that harvests the organs of sex workers for cosmetics. They Apparently, their, their sting is they approach sex workers on the street with a gift certificate saying, congratulations, you've won yourself $100 worth of um, moisturizer. Which is actually better and than it, the prize that the queens on Drag Race UK get. <laughs> yeah, that is true. And in the words of RuPaul, they walk in with a gift certificate and they walk out with a death certificate. <laughs> so... In order to try to bring down Anna Commander, Star Booty decides she's going to go undercover as a sex worker and try to get that gift certificate and get invited in and then she can take down Anna Commander. And I was like, okay, well, look, you know, agent going under the, into the world of sex work, that could be interesting, could be gritty, could be highlighting what it's like to be a sex worker in the, in the 80s. No, all we see is the sex and not the work. So we see three subsequent scenes of Rue as a Star Booty having sex. The first one is with Old Smeller, an Irish... Um, man who likes smelling the farts that's when i tapped out when he was jerking <laughs> off and she was farting it was on the him. irish accent right yeah. <laughs> yeah. and the leprechaun accent yeah 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 yeah, yeah. uh yeah i've a bit of a clip of the of the accent here confess to me what you've had for lunch today my child i had a chili cheese dog and a strawberry you oh jesus mary and joseph i'm going to enjoy this so then the next scene then there's a guy who wants cock and ball torture so he uh it's like you see the dick but then the dick slowly just falls off the frame and then rupaul (laughs) just kicks him in the scrotum several times and you're like i don't know why we have to watch this it went off for far too long (laughs) i get the idea (laughs) yeah i couldn't understand that like i didn't know why the why there was why was there so much sex needed yeah. like there was a, it was like a movie that's like a, a just over an hour long and you had like 10 minutes of plot and 50 minutes of like <laughs> naked men i was wondering if it was like some commentary on like the double standards of female nudity or something like is there something but i'm like no you know what it is it's that because actually you see it now actually as well with drag queen drag queens coming out through drag race they start making these like they start becoming friends with a lot of the like more active like male porn stars they're they're hanging out with your like boomer banks and all those people and this is what that was because that's where rupaul was in his career at that time so he's hanging out with all of these because all all those people like i looked up who was in the film and they were all male porn stars at the time so it obviously is just a kind of a thing that, like, Apparently, Michael Lucas has the biggest porn company in all of Manhattan. I mean, good for him. But yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't understand why there was so much sex and so little plot. And you don't find out that Cornisha is like her niece, or what the situation is, or why she cares until the last five minutes of the movie. She doesn't look like her niece. Like she, no, <laughs> she's like a thirty-year-old no. woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they just joke about raping her. <laughs> like <it's>... I know. <laughs> I know. It's really bad. Um, the final sex scene actually is with a lady bunny who is uh, like RuPaul's best friend and is kind of like a known, dra- like a really famous drag queen who appears in Drag Race occasionally, but like is never a competitor. Um, and she plays Miss Tasha, who's this mystical woman who wants cunnilingus and to denote that her vagillary is a bit dank there's like a a wig there with spiders in it and that's supposed to be you know a horrible experience for, for poor uh, star booty so anyway, star booty has had these three back-to-back sexual experiences that we hang around far too long for she goes back to her fellow sex workers and one of them's being beaten up by her boyfriend slash pimp and uh, because star booty of course is a black belt in taekwondo she beats up the pimp and 
for that, she wins the gift certificate, which gets her over to Annika Manor's place. And so the dance routine. Up. Don't forget the dance routine. Oh, yeah. There's actually two dance routines throughout the movie <laughs> that you don't see coming. <laughs> They're just filler. They're like, the movie's 20 minutes too short. We need two dance routines. So when she gets to Mannerism Inc., um, she confronts Annika. Annika doesn't recognize her, even though they're childhood friends and she's supposed to be the biggest supermodel in the world. Um, and they go and they have a sort of James Bond villain style dinner where Annika has been bragging that she owns a billion dollar company and she serves Star Booty what could only be described as a flagon of cider poured into a champagne flute. It was like the cheapest liquor you have ever seen in your life. Um, so here comes the twist. This is where the twists happen. So Annika... Is there or Tarsabudi's there to try protect Cornisha from Annika? But twist number one, it turns out Annika and Cornisha are actually lovers, and they signify that by coming out and licking each other's tongues. Right? Second twist, it turns out Sarbudi informs them that not only are they lovers, they're also mother and daughter. Okay? Which I can see you re-traumatizing <laughs> Stephen all over again. <laughs> it just it gets worse. RuPaul thinks like like I don't know. Crack whores and like rape is funny. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> like, and I can I can I can get down to clown with some with some Gaspar <laughs> No shit or some Gregoraki <laughs> stuff, but like this is just like has just not funny <laughs> or intelligent. The the word like the I mean the double standards going on here far too much on RuPaul's Drag Race. If you are a frequent watcher of RuPaul's Drag Race, you will know that there is a particular disdain for fart humour on the runway. That contestants and queens who have used fart humour have been sent home for that very reason. And here we have a movie where basically an entire five minute long scene is RuPaul hanging out the window, letting one rip in the face (laughs) of a guy doing a terrible Irish accent. It's... But also that RuPaul wrote that himself. It's not like it was a paycheck. He That was the art he wanted to put out in the world, was this. Um, so to, to wrap up the plot, not only are they lovers, not only are they mother and daughter, it turns out actually Annika was secretly trying to sell Cornisha's clitoris to the highest owner. And this is the real problematic bit about this. Like female um, circumcision is such a bad issue worldwide and so horrific. And they deal with it with just no respect whatsoever. It's such a throwaway comment. And like you watch her sort of like getting getting circumcised basically and it's it's like kind of jovial. You're like this is the tone is all wrong. But ultimately Star Booty and Annika have a kung fu match on the roof. And uh, Star Booty kicks Annika off the roof. She gets hit by a car and fortunately before the body is cold they manage to do a pussy transplant on Cornisha and Cornisha is all okay. But at least it had a happy ending. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> My favorite quote is um you may be skinny but you're still a fat fucking fuck on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> what? Maybe it has some potential. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I just was had so many questions after and uh, you know, and he tried to be edgy. He dedicated the movie to this televangelist called Jerry Farwell who had just died prior to the movie, who was staunchly anti-LGBT, but I just mean I was like, you know, what a rubbish output to the world. This was, I suppose, 2007. This is pre-Drag Race. Like, this must have been... This was, like, a year. of his career. Yeah. This was, like, immediately pre-Drag Race. I think Drag Race started in 2008. So this yeah. would have been RuPaul at the kind of... Because, like, Ru, Ru had, like, a, a great 90s... Well, you know, it was a very 
lo- mm. like a prominent figure in the 90s on the like fringe queer culture but then had like completely vanished and it was drag race that kind of brought him back so this would have been the, the bottom of the yeah <laughs> it sounds you know all all he had was this, like 400 acre ranch in uh, <laughs> yeah in colorado to he, keep was, him going. he was fracking in the meantime yeah <laughs> if, if, if we were to have a if james and i were to host a viewing of star booty in the sugar club uh would you come along no i would i'd be very curious I, I die, we, we'll break it down we'll dissect it yeah yeah like a few drinks with your friends sir booty i think you know that that's a romp yeah. maybe bring rupaul yeah. in for a q a <laughs> well he does insist on introducing it everywhere yeah, it's on yeah. so <laughs> it's like um when tommy when the room plays they just tommy Wiseau just travels the world introducing the yeah, movie. yeah 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 <laughs> but like I, I was thinking about it and i was like what is what is rupaul trying to do because like i feel like he's lucky this got buried and like no one picked it up and like no one really wanted it because if it had even come out i feel like a lot of people would have lost a lot of respect like and maybe he wouldn't be the sort of you know big name like superstar he is but like i think he's trying to do like naked gun right yeah but with black exploitation but like it, mm. it's just not funny and it's like that you know those movies like disaster movie or date movie or like meet the spartans it's just like really vulgar <laughs> really yeah. coarse but like with no kind of vision just like strung together but i also think like he's he's trying to do this exploitation thing and like i just kept thinking about black dynamite Did you ever see black dynamite the movie the michael J. white comedy that came out a couple of years ago it's like this great parody of uh, the similar type of movies RuPaul is slagging and yeah. like it has the same sort of like it's it's playing on like the kind of stilted dialogue and the way those movies you know some of the supporting actors in it weren't very good and the plots were crazy and didn't make much sense but like that movie understands that like those exploitation movies were like problematic as hell but they were so cool and like yeah. they mm-hmm. looked awesome and they had like such great style the soundtracks were amazing like and it had like you know Curtis Mayfield doing soundtrack, you know, Isaac Hayes, you know, the Shaft music. We still sing, like, the songs from those movies yeah. now. Uh, whereas this one is just, it looks like trash. Like, it looks like it was it shot, was on, shot I, on a I, potato. <laughs> I would say, hey, I actually did like the soundtrack. We probably produced the soundtrack, and there were some songs I was bopping along to. Uh, so that would be the most redeeming quality of the movie. It, it, it soundtrack does go hard. I'll admit that, but it's not a very black exploitationy soundtrack. Is my only thing. It's no, a very no, Euro no, no. techno kind of like but gay Baron Ibiza kind of. Vibe, yeah, you know. That's but that's <laughs> yeah. kind of what RuPaul has like very particular references that that they really like, and that kind of like Euro trashy music and and like kind of real like heavy disco. Like that's kind of Ru's area music wise, and then like I think really likes. Because you see, like, through all of the movies Rue is in, like, where, like, it's more of a main character. It's kind of around this sort of, like, person who's forced into a illegal or questionably legal sort of position because of a need to do something for a greater purpose. You know, like, kind of, like, in the um, Red Ribbon Blues, it's all about that sort of, I'll talk about that in a minute, but it's all about that sort of breaking the law for a justified purpose. And in a way... Though I don't want to credit, you know, Star Booty with too much. Like, that's kind of 
where Star Booty is as well. And I think, like, even if you watch, like, AJ and the Queen as well, it's sort of this, like, the justified villain... Not the villain. Like, justified law-breaking yeah, kind yeah, of a thing. Yeah, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> That's a reason. But, like, I think what Stephen said, it has... It doesn't have its tongue in its cheek at all. Like, no. you don't think it's making fun of itself. You think it's taking itself seriously. And also, it is highlighting a world of, like, you know, sex work and kink and all that sort of stuff. That is, it, The Very tongue in the cheek is actually about that. It's actually not about him, mm. you know? So. Yeah. Sashay away. Mm. Sashay yeah, away. Sashay. <laughs> and never come back. <laughs> Except if it's not on the sugar club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in which case, buy your tickets and come along. Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> Get excited. <laughs> Um, I suppose I watched Red Ribbon Blue. So it came out in 1996. So it's in that same kind of bailiwick as 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 all the rest of these um, Rue classics. Um, and it's three years after Philadelphia, where Tom Hanks won an Oscar for a very thoughtful performance, which sort of brought the 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 strife of of people suffering with HIV and AIDS into the mainstream. Um, and I suppose this this was trying to 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 do something similar. So it was kind of like it's a messy Robin Hood kind of story with sort of a ton of questionable motiva- motivations. Uh, and and if you can see past the the sort of kookiness and the craziness of it, it it actually you know it actually is good for its time in what it was trying to do. And it, you know I can see there was a real heart in what they were trying to to do it. So basically, the story is that like after attending. I, I don't know, like 10 or 20, after 20, after 20, 23 uh, AIDS rated funerals, a group of friends get sick of the fact that they are just basically waiting patiently to die while there is these pharmacy companies that have these life-saving drugs and there's the sort of Martin Schlecki pharma bros out there capitalizing on the cost of these life-saving drugs and they don't want to, um, and they don't want to let people have them for, for free. And it highlights quite a few of the issues that the, um, it highlights quite a few of the issues that people with with HIV at the time would have been suffering. The fact that you couldn't be out, uh, you couldn't be out at work if someone found out that you had AIDS. You would easily be able to get fired from your job. You couldn't let your health insurance know that you had it. The film it relies on a couple of pretty unfortunate cliches and a hell of a lot of buffoonery and shenanigans in its quest to put across some meaningful messages. It has a similar feeling to kind of the other gay for gay made by gays for gays uh, movies like Bear City where there's sort of like high camp and high jinx and they're commonly ensue at the most inappropriate of times um, and as with a lot of sort of LGBTQ movies the story really hinges on a 100% apologetically queer straight acting hero who loves God and hates hookup culture um, and we're treated to really awkward sort of judgmental interactions with this scorned guy who tried to hook up with them and this really heavy handed messaging that kind of like it's a very judgmental, heavy-handed messaging that, you know, good people can get AIDS too. It's not only evil, bad queers who have sex to get AIDS. Good people can get it. And here's a woman with a baby who can get it. Um, but so um, the cast is... He plays Duke, or Rue plays Duke, who is a gallery owner whose partner is suffering from the latter stages of AIDS. And we've just seen quite a sensitive portrayal of this in It's a Sin, where one of the characters goes through the same kind of story in terms of the dementia and that kind of like, I suppose, losing their their ability to look after themselves. And so you, you're coming into this with that real awareness of that, of how sensitively that was handled. And then you're looking at this where kind of you get the guy meandering around a, a pharmacy with a gun shouting, someone free the chickens! Where are the chickens? It, it's all kind of, 
I, I don't know, it sort of, again, is mocking quite a serious thing and something that was affecting the LGBT community in a really, um, in a really big way. The Probably the, the, the cast member from this one that you probably should be talking about is Debbie Mazar, who would be sort of most, uh, I think, probably most well known for, for being in um, Entourage and then a few other bits and pieces. Uh, overall, Rue's performance is actually the standout in Ooh. this, though. <gasps> he is genuinely... <laughs> quite restrained <laughs> and like he i mean it's not that restrained but like he's quite restrained he's out of drag the entire film with the exception of one moment where he gets into like a hamburglar costume as part of their kind of getting ready to, to Sorry, go did you say hamburglar yeah the hamburglar from so mcdonald's like ham- hamburger burglar from the mcdonald's the, the hamburglar he's, he's purple with the mask and the prison outfits that fella <laughs> oh, okay. It's a cute movie and it's try it is trying to sell this really like heartfelt message about how there's communities are put upon by these massive corporates and corporate greed is put ahead of the freedom of the um the the freedom and availability of of something that would make a massive difference for a particular group of people. It's done in such a heavy-handed way and it's so judgmental and really problematic. You have bit queer ba- like gay like one of the characters queer bashes another guy because they're taking credit for these Robin Hood mo- robberies and yeah. But anyway, it, it's it, it's I would say it's actually probably a, 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 a Chante rather than a Sachet. I think RuPaul's the standout in But I'm a Cheerleader, but I, 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 I'm not sure if that's a controversial take or not. I, I like Rue in that. I think Rue is very... Yeah. Like, Rue is best, I think, when, when they drop in for a moment and they kind of... They steal a particular scene or one or two scenes and they have a real fierce sassiness and a lot of screen presence, which is why I think they've been able to make the transition to TV host so well. Yeah. I also think it helps when the movies are sort of already quite colourful and vibrant or, like, quite camp, which I, I think Crooklyn is very like you know vibrant and sort of like full of life and but i'm a cheerleader is very very camp and uh, i I think it it fits his uh just natural kind of like i'm always performing i'm always on sort of vibe really well Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well i talk about the plot or of but i'm a cheerleader go for it yeah yeah um yeah so it's a kind of comedy satire where megan played by the great Natasha Lyonne. Mm. Uh, she's this all-American girl. She's a cheerleader and has a boyfriend. Except she doesn't like kissing them that much. And, you know, she maybe likes to hug her cheerleader friends. Uh, one of whom is played by a young Michelle Williams, which is really cool. Maybe a bit too much. And Megan only has pictures of girls in her locker. And so because of this, her parents and friends conclude uh, she must be gay and send her off to a sexual redirection school populated with other homosexual misfits where she can learn to be straight. And uh, the kind of question of the movie is, will Megan be turned straight or will she succumb uh, to her love for the beautiful Graham? Played by uh, the great uh, Clay Duvall, who, uh, as you, Andrew, directed The Happiest Season, which you referenced. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really like this movie. Like, I like its aesthetic. Like, I like the kind of... It's very colourful. Pink is the dominant colour. It kind of looks like it was shot inside a Barbie's playhouse. <laughs> and But this is kind of like juxtaposed with the script and story, which is criticising and taking the piss out of... Um, these awful like conversion camps and you know homophobia and like rigid gender stereotypes but in a way that's very funny and like sensitive too like in a way where i think star booty and it sounds a bit like james the movie you were talking about like it's referencing all these like really serious issues but then is not really paying them any respect you know yes exactly um yeah and i i just i think that also the fact that like this movie came out 
I think 1999 and like they almost like predates by 20 years like movies like Boy Erased or like Miseducation at Cameron Post which uh you know I feel like conversion camps are a lot more of a well-known thing now than they maybe yeah. were in like the 90s so it's, it's pretty ahead of its time but um yeah I don't know I just I think it's really funny like this the scene where all the students you know are in the conversion camp and they have to define the root of what makes them gay which is like ridiculous so they can't think of any and one of them is like you know my mother got married in pants or just a really one of them was like oh, my, i was born in france <laughs> yeah. just really quotable lines and like i don't know I, I think, like, even just watching, like, RuPaul on, like, Drag Race, like, everything's a performance. Like, even the way he say to, like, contestants, like, don't fuck it up, you know, like, mm. when he's, like, giving the challenges. And I just think that artificial quality he has uh, is just very well deployed in But I'm a Cheerleader. Like, mm-hmm. and, like, he's not in drag. He's he's playing Mike, you know, a former student at the sexual redirection school who his says he's cured of his... His little goatee <laughs> says he was cured of his gayness and, like, and now he works there. And it's just, like good casting on like multiple levels because you know he he just has the sort of campiness to like deliver mm. such a silly line like i myself was once a gay now i'm an ex-gay <laughs> megan <laughs> <laughs> to be fair he does have a knack and he does have a skill for finding catchphrases and things and things that sound yeah. well together and the balance of the of the turn the learn like joe he'll even if you hear him on some of his podcasts, he'll break down a word and you'll hear him sort of like take about the, the parts and put it back together into a catchphrase. So he does seem to have a knack for that. He does, yeah. But I'm a cheerleader was... I remember when I first started in college, there was a, like the LGBT society's first event of the year was a screening of But I'm a Cheerleader. And I remember going to it and being very excited because it was like the first time I'd been to like an all gay event. So it's like, it's got a really warm place in my heart. Um, And again, it's got like that, it has got a really like spectacular cast for those kind of like offbeat sort of slightly alt uh, actors like Natasha Lyonne and Clea Duval. And really similar to, similar in, in the same way to like say Saved was, where it's kind of this, like it's using the religious religiosity or the 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 kind of the the it's making a mockery of it's showing you how ridiculous the idea of conversion therapy is really sort of nice and succinctly um but yeah, yeah no, the I right think person it's... is at the butt of the joke you know? yeah Not... exactly yeah that, uh, yeah and true. that's what happens in the other ones is that there is such a need to take the piss out of these other like it's punching down the other ones are punching down whereas this is punching up in its humor but but i also i also think like casting rupaul and i is i think the movie's way of inviting you to compare this person who if people like imagine a lot of people watch this movie like it's it's a gay cult movie they know who rupaul is so they're like it's invite asking you to compare his personal his public persona of being like out and proud with this person that his character is playing who's very you know, he's repressing his homosexuality. And I think that just makes mm-hmm. it, even though it is a very comedy, just like a hint of, that's sad, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it, so I think it does, it, it is serious in like the things it's criticizing. and um, But also just like an alleged ex-gay teacher as horny for men as his homosexual teenage students who he's trying to teach to be straight. That's always going to be funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like, there's so many scenes of like, he's trying to teach them how to like do manly things like play football and they're, and they're just so shit. <laughs> and, they're, and, they're, and they're just like, he RuPaul and like the kids are just like constantly distracted by like the hot, like handyman who's like watering the plants and like pouring water on his like pecs. It's just so good. It's really funny. <laughs>
the other movie I watched was Who is Cletus Tout? Um, Stephen, you watched that as well, right? Yeah, I did. Would you agree that I felt like this is a cheap version of The Usual Suspects? Yeah, and like very, very sub Usual Suspects, very sub Tarantino, Guy Ritchie. You know, I felt like, it was like somebody was like, "What's that movie that's big in the box office?" Usual suspect. Give me one of them, but for half the budget. <laughs> and they're like, "Okay." But, but also, <laughs> this kind of like this strain of movie of like movies made by movie bros who grew up when like Tarantino was huge, and they're just like, "I like crime thrillers. I like being funny. I like just talking about movies. I'm gonna make a movie where I do that." And like, it fucking just bangs you over the head. Like the first scene, like it's like, "What's that movie with the?" Burt Reynolds, Deliverance. And then, like, they'll do two minutes of that. And then, like, Tim Allen shows up playing, like, a hitman who's, like, quotes Double Indemnity. And then we'll say, like, Double Indemnity, 1950. You know, like, it's it's just, it's quite annoying. I don't know why Tarantino gets away with it. I think because, like, maybe he does it more implicitly and the the movies he's referencing are, like, less known. But, like, just, like, a, like a dude trying to be, like, Rebecca, 1936. I, like, talking about it as if these are, like, movies that, like not ever pretty much like anyone who like is like over 30 <laughs> like is interested in like vaguely interested movies would know like it, it's quite annoying but it it kind of wore me down i kind of liked it yeah i mean i thought it started quite badly like i think like the third scene is them they've broke they break out of jail pretty early and then there's this scene that's just supposed to establish that they're on a train and it opens up with the woman serving things and then it pans over to them in the chair and then it goes then that's the end of the scene like presumably there's dialogue there that, that gets cut and you're just like you're opening with one of the shittest scenes you have in the movie is <laughs> yeah, yeah. um also the, the actual the literal first scene the second words they say the word retarded which i was like oh this hasn't aged well they also have um <laughs> You've got a paper trail Helen Keller could follow, which I was like, oh, do we follow? So, <laughs> that's also not Doesn't allowed Doesn't Tim anywhere. Allen beat up a bunch of Mexican kids doing like graffiti? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so uh, basically the summary of the plot is Christian Slater plays this guy called Finch who breaks out of jail with his friend and they go on a sort of diamond hunt um, for items. And along the way, they bump into sort of friends that help them along the way, like Billy Connolly, who's a coroner. and He's so good in the movie. Billy yeah, he's good. Absolutely. And, and Portia de Rossi is his, is his friend's uh, daughter. Um, and they communicate through Carrier Pigeon, of course. Um, so the... Anyway, eventually it leads them to this apartment block where they believe that there could be some information for their case. Um, but when he gets to the apartment block, the neighbour of the apartment block comes out and gives him the important piece of information. And that neighbour is played by RuPaul. And RuPaul is like out of drag, but is wearing sort of like a smoky eye, very androgynous and actually like reasonably commanding for the scene. Like it is a bit abrupt. It doesn't really feel like it fits with the movie, but you're like, okay, who is this shady character? I like to get to know him more, but you don't. (laughs) Just continues on with the rest of the movie. Hello, Mr. Taft. It is Taft. Isn't it? So, you're my new neighbor. I can tell you one thing. I cannot wait for that neighborhood watch meeting. (laughs) This came for me today. Naughty, naughty. The note said for me to hold on to it till I heard from you. It also said not to open it. Sorry. Next stop, Mr. Tout, the basement. The dirty, dirty 
And just, I love how Christian Slater in that scene, because it's meant to be Christian Slater is breaking into the house of the guy. He's taken over his, like, he's taken over this person's identity of this person who's died. But somehow by this, like, complicated, like, plot, like, the people who killed that guy think that Christian Slater is him. So, Mm. like, there's all, so there's a part where kind of everything is, like, converging in this house and RuPaul is sort of, like vamping it up as this sort of femme fatale you're not quite sure like oh is she like part of the scheme or is she just really horny and like <laughs> christian Slater's acting in that scene is really good of just being kind of transfixed and being a bit a bit like your one in crookland just being like as rupaul is like doing her yeah. thing like he's just a bit christian like, Slater doesn't say a word to rupaul no the whole movie <laughs> rupaul comes over just talks and is like so i got your stuff here and i'll be in here if you want me and then christian Slater turns back to the door and opens it like it yeah, is this a Shantae or a Sashay Away, would you say? Like, I, I think it's a... I forget which one's the good one. I think it's a Shantae. <laughs> because good? here's the thing, like, performances are charming. I quite like its sort of farcical vibes. Like, Richard Dreyfus is like this thief who uses m- magic skills to rob stuff. Mm. And, like, it's fun to see Christian Slater mm-hmm. it, it do something kind of similar to True Romance, even if it's, like, nowhere near as good as that. And... You know, he does a Jack Nicholson impression at one point, which was cool. And like, even if like Tarantino is Coca-Cola and this is like Cadet Coke, like it still gives me some of that juice. So I'm like, I'm like, I like cinema too. So when it ends with like Tim Allen, like singing in the rain, like <laughs> dancing around in the street, I'm like, oh, it's annoying, but I I, I can't, it's effective. I can't help. Yeah. <laughs> you know? The movie could 100% exist with zero plot holes if he hadn't been in it. True. If he, he feels like an afterthought, like they were like, oh, we need something. Go. It feels like a very sort of like last minute, like script revision. Yeah. Like, oh, we, we need, need this a little to be bit cool of... with the kids. Let's yeah. get RuPaul in it. Mm. <laughs> uh, Andrew, what did you think of AJ and the Queen? Because I suppose you that's you've dived in straight with that. Yeah, right? yeah, um, yeah. I I think it's bad. <laughs> I think everyone agrees. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. Have you guys watched it? Yeah. Like it's. It, it, I would say that that it's made for Drag Race fans, and it's it's not really made for drag. Like I don't mean it's for plot. It's like it's sort of for like like in that way like train train spotters or, or like bird watchers yeah. like it's kind of for drag watchers like you're watching it to take off the cameos of the queens that you yeah, see yeah. from the, the different seasons and to see Rue interacting with with them that that's more or less yeah it's really not made for me because i got really excited in the third episode when adrian barbeau shows up and she's in like john carpenter movies like escape from new york and the fog i was like oh it's her it's her oh and then the rest of them the rest of them i was like (laughs) 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 um but also i think that the kids that plays aj i think izzy g is her name maybe the most annoying fucking kid in all of, all of entertainment, <laughs> I would say. She's so she's just constantly screaming. Oh, because Rue seems very proud of it. As somebody who like engages in his media, it was a big push for it. He seemed very proud of it. He was really hoping to get a second season, and then it was Furious. just cancelled two months after it aired. Mm. Yeah, no, I, and like I even remember at the time there was like lots of the drag queens who didn't get cameos were kind of like, oh wait, mm. wait, wait and see what happens. Mm. Season two, maybe you'll get some Alaska in season two. Yeah. But no, no, um, it was it, it was very much I think Rue like I think that was peak um self indulgence. Yeah, AJ I agree. Queen. Like I mean, I think that's exactly. What I think it kind of could have worked uh, in its if it it was presented in like a more sitcom kind of format. You know, you cut the running time of each episode in half put it in like one location 
you know, like friends or something like that, you know, make the apartment kind of maybe the one place they all hang out or whatever, or like a coffee shop or whatever. Um, and kind of just give a bit more focus to the light. Because I really liked um, Lewis, his friend, his blind friend, and yeah. uh, the really, the kind of desperate kind the of relationship he had with, the, with uh, the police officer. And, you know, make just make AJ more likable and give RuPaul better lines and just make it funnier yeah. all around. And you've got, you've got like three seasons got, locked down there. Maybe, yeah. maybe you can go for the full ten. But, just make it good. Just yeah, make just it yeah. good. <laughs> I think it was it didn't need the the like the heist whole thing was unnecessary and this whole like them being chased across the country by Tia Carrera and Tia Carrera in, in like like a mini like that was it, like it was unnecessary to to have all that. You're right. If it had just been in one location and it had just been like aged drag queen makes unlikely friendship with young child and has blind friend just in New York. That that would have been a show that I think would have had more yeah, legs. Yeah, kind of like don't bring the kid child to a wet t-shirt contest. Don't bring the child to a gay bar. <laughs> you know, all these kind of things. Not that gay bars are bad places, but they're not, you know, probably not appropriate for a 10-year-old child is what I'll say. No, no. <laughs> for the alcohol alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, do we think, like, is there is there a format that Rue could actually work in as, like, a lead actor, do we think? I do, I do think um, the sitcom format might suit him better. Um, I think he could, that, that had, that, I, I think my idea has legs. Uh, so yeah. give me a ring, Rue. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think, I think we, he is just better in small doses. And I think just making the show maybe a bit more about, you know, the likes of, uh, Lewis and his uh, hopeful, ho- who he hopes to be his boyfriend, Officer Patrick, um, yeah. and it may, and a more likable AJ. Then I think you've got something there. And you know, yeah. RuPaul shows up, says a line, and then walks out the door or whatever. Because he was in um, Broad City for two or three episodes. I think he plays Alana's boss, mm. but he plays like really hard nose, and he isn't like telling jokes or anything like that. Like if 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 he was. If the, he he was in a sitcom in a sort of like John Ralphio from Parks and Recreation character, <laughs> this like really over the top sort of character that isn't really I'm seen, but, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I think he could work in that. Role. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm. I I think what would be cool for him if he had a sort of David Bowie acting career where it was sort of a string of kind of high profile cameos in movies that just sort of owned his otherworldliness and his sort of like the public's already affection for him and kind of like was just well deployed you know the way david bowie shows up in like zoolander yeah. you're like yeah bowie you know like something <laughs> like that and then like you could do he like i'm sure rupaul you could do a sort of man who fell to earth where it's sort of like a great director who's just like i craft I, if rupaul gave himself over to like this visionary and like that person was able to kind of craft something that just like completely fitted like his persona i think rupaul would have the natural charisma and those sort of i think acting chops to pull it off but uh, i'm not sure it's gonna happen what about a rupaul remake of labyrinth oh that would, that wow. would actually be really good <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if it'd be good enough but i'd be interested to see how it turns out yeah, yeah. i'd be interested to hear the soundtrack anyway yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of sitcoms, will we talk about the Brady Bunch movies? Oh, I think they're RuPaul's best moments. Really? Yeah. Those two, those two one-minute. <laughs> <cameos. laughs> 
<laughs> Andrew, Andrew doesn't sound too enthused. Yeah, really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually quite like the first movie. I think it's quite charming and funny. I think yeah. the whole weird incest vibes in the second one really threw me. Um, and I also think RuPaul's cameo in that one isn't that good. But no. um, I think it's. I think her cameo in the first one is really good, where it just opens with her um, sitting opposite Jan, the middle child of the Brady Bunch, and just trying to guess what's wrong with her. And like she's like teen pregnancy, bulimia, suicidal ideation. He's like, no, my my, I just don't like my older sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um no i think that that the jan makes that like that film is actually very funny yeah. it's it's one of those like ones that like the scooby-doo movie that's kind of like you you don't expect it to be you don't expect to be entertained by it but then you find yourself being entertained by it and you're like well this is not what i <laughs> and it's, it's given us a couple of like viral iconic moments yeah with the marcia 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 <laughs> sure, um, yeah, yeah exactly like you you, you can't get away yeah. from that um and i think that that rue is um kind of funny sitting there is this like it is like insanely camp and like weirdly intense yeah. moment as you've got the whole your one jan kind of going crazy in her own mind yeah, it's like, like, it's like, like getting that. therapy from whitney houston or something yes yeah, a very tall <laughs> whitney houston yeah i do like the movie as a whole because it's like i think it's i think i like the i like kind of culture clash comedies and especially when it's like not a racist culture clash comedy, which this isn't, thank God. And um, this is just about the Brady family who are stuck in their seventies ideals and morals, and then but they're just living in the nineties, and so they have all the dreadful, dreadful clothes, and like all they played like, like for family unity or whatever, they have like potato sack races, the sack races in the back garden. Their maid lives with them. It's very and everyone around them is like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? This is a cult. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for having us. No problem. Thanks Good. for coming on. This was, yeah, this was the most fun episode in ages. Don't tell our other. <laughs> don't tell our other guests. It's on the premium feed. They won't listen. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, well, I, I guess we could like because this is a crossover episode. I'll say to you know fans of Sissy That Pod, if you liked you know me and Andrew's vibe. And you want to hear more? Check out I Know The Face on like Twitter, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and we're on the same heads of podcast network, so you'll, you can find us in the same places as Sissy uh, That Pod. Would you like to issue a similar appeal to the I Know The Face yeah. fan base? All like yeah. ten people, <laughs> none of them gay. If you haven't <laughs> been, if you haven't been thoroughly turned off by what you've heard about RuPaul, you may want to go and watch RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you watch one of these movies, get encapsulated in the world of RuPaul, watch Drag Race, and then you want to hear two people talk about it every week, Sissy That Pod's mm, place to go. That is so we're the place at to be. Sissy That Pod on Instagram. And I would say that if you haven't, if you aren't currently watching RuPaul's Drag Race, you have a lot of catching up to do. Yeah. So you may want to cancel the rest of your summer plans. Yeah. But you know, where would you, where would you go anyway? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's your time. You choose how you waste it. <laughs> Well, see you later, cinephiles. Bye! This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.